How's everybody doing? No, join in with. Feel free to join in. Let's see if I can get this thing up. I got this chair to sit in, but it's it's too spongy, so I'm just gonna kick it to the side. Let's just start with prayer. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for your truth. Lord, a truth that you said sets men free. Huh? You've got to consider when you say set men free. Set men free for what? Well, we know that it's setting men free to be in uh, a glorious relationship with you. A, a, a relationship that will last from now even unto eternity. And Lord, there is nothing better than that because you are the source of light and truth and revelation and understanding and love. You're the source of all those things. And we are so privileged and blessed to, to, to be uh, one with you through Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we look into these uh, the things we're going to discuss today, that you will open up our hearts and our minds to a truth that uh, further establishes that, that relationship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, you know, first of all, I got another side to this board that I, I put together during the week. And then Friday, something happened. I was talking to someone, and I added some stuff here on the, on the front of this board. We, that's what we're going to get into first. But listen, please feel free to interact. Don't worry about the mic or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I was thinking how when people are communicating more, in human communication, how even voice inflection can change the meaning dramatically of what's being said. Like, I'll give you an example of that. The righteous will live by faith. Or, the righteous will live by faith. Now, let me give you two interpretations. When I say, the righteous will live by faith, what does that say? I mean, what does it say to you? That we have to do it. That's right. It, 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 it is diametrically opposed to the second way that I said it. When I say the righteous will live by faith, it says that the good people who are living by faith, they are righteous. The good people who are working their lives out through their believing will have the good life. But when I say the righteous will live by faith. It is communicating that the righteous will find something to believe in that actually produces life in them. Do you realize, can you see the difference there? That one is the believing on something. The other one is doing something. The same words saying two opposite things. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the difference between the letter and the spirit. But what is the letter and the spirit of what? 
Well, I can tell you, it is the letter of Scripture versus the spirit of Scripture. The letter of how we think versus the spirit of how we might think. There, there are uh, interrelating uh, dynamics in our understanding of God and the truth that he has given us through the scriptures. And that's what, that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, the letter is like kind of like man's approach to reasoning, okay? The spirit is God's approach. One is called the ministration of death. The other is called the manifestation of life and peace. Now, which, one, which way would you prefer? <laughs> one deals with the jot and tittle. In other words, understanding what the scriptures say and our intellectual interpretation of what they say, and which usually ends up uh, going nowhere. And the other looks at the overall understanding of what the scriptures are communicating to us and seeing the love of God manifested in those, in those same scriptures. It's just like the righteous will live by faith and the righteous will live by faith. It's, it, it, there's a difference there. One brings life. So anyway, yesterday I was uh, in a little discussion. I, I, I'm going through this little course on life coaching and I was reading where in, in you know in this course where it says that the basic premise of life coaching is that everyone has goals in life and uh, the, the, the life that we're looking to attain to is based on our closing the gap between what we hope for, what, we, what we're looking for, the goals we desire, and closing the gap between actually attaining those goals. So life coaching is your attaining to goals. Basically, that's what it is. That's what life coaching is. And so I'm standing at my kitchen counter reading this stuff on my computer, and... Uh, And my niece is on the other side of the counter. And I asked, I said, you know, I said, let me ask you a question. If you were life coaching someone or counseling someone, whatever, do you think that it would be better to look at people's individual goals and how they might attain to these goals or do you think it would be better to look at the whole life of an individual and deal with the whole life? And she said, I think it would be better to look at the goals. Why would you say that? Why do y'all think she would say that? It's important to them. It's, it's important to them. And... <clears throat> Individual goals actually seem attainable. You, you look at this one thing and you say, you know what? I may not be able to do all these other things, 
but I can do that one thing. So you, you strive to attain to that goal. And you might actually attain to it. I, I think that that might be questionable, but it's possible that you could work on a goal and attain a particular goal. But then I told her this. I said, imagine that life is this straight line, kind of like this line that I got drawn right here. And it that line is the life that you would, it's the ultimate in life, that straight line. And here we are living our life like in, in need of some goal or multiple goals. And we're working and we work real hard and we attain to our goal. And once we attain to the goal, if we actually attain to the goal, we realize that goal actually does not fulfill our lives, right? Right. What happens? You go down. In, in your heart, in your mind, you say, hmm, man, I got this thing. I got this BMW I wanted, and it ain't satisfying. So it drops you down below the where you want to be. It actually brings you to the other end, the antithesis of what you desire. You're desiring the good life. But once you attain to the goal, you realize the goal didn't give you a good life, so you actually go down below that point where you want to be. So then you say, you know what it is? It's because I don't have a good family life. So I'm going to work on my family life. And you work on that. And you, you kind of get to some point where you say, you know, we get along much better. This is really good. And you go for along for a while and you realize, well, that didn't do it for me either. So you crash again. And that's kind of how life is. But listen to this. Think about what I'm going to tell you. If it were possible, to address your life as a whole and come to some kind of understanding about life that puts you more on this line because you're dealing with the life and not different aspects of the life. What would happen is these all of your goals, and not just one of them, all of the goals of your life would begin to shrink and to become more in conformance with that perfect life. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if you're not focusing on the goals, but the life, you'll find that these highs and lows will begin to come more into conformity with where you're looking to be. That makes sense? And what is that life? It's a life of love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, self-control, goodness, faith. You have those things. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter whether things are going right for you or going wrong for you. You've got the life. But, it doesn't mean that having that life won't have effect on other aspects of your life. That's right. Good, positive aspects in the rest, the rest of that life. But I'm going to tell you, in religion, in Christianity, as we see it, it is very goal-oriented, principle-oriented. We're all 
looking for the, for the next thing that's going to provide his life. Okay. Now, with that in mind, We're going to look at what the scriptures say about these things. Now, you got your Bible? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read something. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says this. He says, Our sufficiency okay who have is of god our sufficiency is of who is of god so when your sufficiency is of god i can tell you you are sufficient okay <laughs> who have made us qualified ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. Now if the ministration or service of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how will the ministration of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, which exceeds much more, is exceedingly glorious. For even which was glorious has no glory in respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was passing away was glorious, that which remains is more glorious. y'all think about those words when we think about the way the Lord kind of deals with humanity throughout history uh, there's something in the way we think that there's something in our minds that causes him to have to introduce something to us before we can attain to the final end. Does that make sense to you? I mean, in other words, why was it that after the fall in the garden, you know, around the time of the Tower of Babel, say, that Jesus didn't come at the time of the Tower of Babel and die on the cross for us? I mean, physically just come into the world and do it then. Why did the law have to come into existence in that period of time from Adam to Moses what there was there was no law and then from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus there was the law why didn't he just come right after the fall to show us that we couldn't do it under our own will there there there's truth to what you're saying there in other words what exactly was it that happened in the fall? What happened in the fall? 
the man and a woman chose to partake of a fruit, right? What was that fruit? <clears throat> fruit, fruit? Well, it was the fruit of the knowledge of good. The knowledge of good and evil was that tree that they believed in. Okay? And what did that, what did the knowledge of good and evil communicate to us? Because that, that knowledge brings forth death. The knowledge of the tree of, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought forth death, right? So what did partaking of that truth bring about in us, in our hearts? The belief that somehow through our understanding of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, that we could attain godlikeness. Isn't that what it is? Yeah. What the scripture said? So what do we believe? We believe that we know right from wrong, good from evil. And as a result of that, we can be like God. But what did, what did God say about that? He said that would bring about death. You believe that way, and it's going to bring about death. Hard to believe. That's what it says. So now we have religion that, in essence, teaches us that through our knowledge of good and evil, we can attain God like you obey the law, you can be like God, you can attain to righteousness. So you see, there's something in the thinking of man that is askew, because what we're believing actually brings about death, right? So what God did is he had to communicate to, to the world through the nation of Israel that life, could not be attained through the knowledge of good and evil in your efforts to attain to righteousness through the knowledge of good and evil. He had to bring us to a point of death. Let her kill her. He had to bring us to a point of death that we might be married to another, not to the law for righteousness, but to the one who died for us and was raised from the dead. Are y'all cracking with me here? Yeah. Okay. So, the law is revealing a mentality or thinking to us that brought death. <clears throat> So, and yet in the law, in the law that said, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't know if you realize it, but the commandments themselves, if, if you read in like in Numbers and everything, they didn't just come with a, a, a command. You realize that. Do you realize the scriptures say, that if you curse your father and mother, you know, people put to death. All of the commandments, all of them, came with an associated penalty. And most of those penalties was death. Now, our carnal thinking wants to think, we got to start behaving right. Because if we don't behave right, we're going to die. It's going to kill us. But because what is really taking place here is that he is trying to reveal to us that our thinking leads only to death. There's nothing wrong with not lying, 
not stealing, not committing adultery, loving God with your whole heart and soul and mind. All those things are absolutely good. And he desires that to be a part of us. That's why there is a glory to the law because there is nothing good. It's holy, righteous, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. However, there's an element to the law that said, you believe that by doing these things, you can attain God-likeness. But I'm here to tell you, by the law, that, that your, your approach, your mentality, your thinking of life and of God is askewed, and it is going to only bring about death. That's what, that's what the law came to do, to reveal the diminishation of death, which was really in the minds of men, not in the law itself, but in the thinking of men. Yeah. So, Jesus came. And he, he took thousands of years yes. to figure that out. Because I, I feel like with me, it was pretty obvious immediately that you can't really uh, attain life through your hands. That's right. Well, I'm going to tell you, for some, it comes a lot easier than others. Well, trust me when I tell you that. He was stiff-necked people. That, listen, can you imagine, just think about this. The Jews had this embodiment of truth that was given to us in the law. But because their minds, there was this veil that existed over the, their minds, okay? Uh, they couldn't see. Matter of fact, Let's let's just uh, let's read it. Go go with me if you would to the uh, the book of Hebrews chapter eight. Hebrews chapter eight. You you brought up a very good point, and I was heading in that direction. So listen to this. The writer of Hebrews says this. Chapter eight, verse seven. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If the first covenant, covenant of the law, were faultless, there would not have been a place for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. You see, what was happening is Moses gave the, the, the people the law, okay? And what was weak about the law was not the law itself, although there, there's an element of weakness but in that it was but a shadow it was not the reality there was some element of weakness there but the true weakness was in the in the hearts and the minds of those to to whom the law came it was not having the very effect that you're talking about in other words it was it was not revealing to the people clearly because they had this veil over their minds listen to what he says we're going to go on for, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that, that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the very least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful in their unrighteousness, in their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. In saying, in his saying, a new covenant, he has made first, the first obsolete. And now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So he has translated the believer, those who have believed in Christ for their life, that, that perfect life that I'm, I'm talking about. He has translated them from the, from the kingdom of darkness that they were under, not the, that the law was the kingdom of darkness, but their mentality, their thinking, their understanding, their perspective of God, the love of Christ shows and reveals to us God's, his heart, what his heart actually is to us. And he create, he, he translates us into the kingdom of his beloved son. But it's interesting, isn't it? How some folks hear truth and almost Im immediately attach to it. And others, they need some serious uh, uh, I don't know how you say it, some serious convincing <clears throat> that, the, that the truth is the truth. And what do you what do y'all think about all this? Do you think that uh, the law had its effects? It's listen, you realize that even though for the believer, yeah, the scriptures clearly say we're no longer under the law, but under the spirit. The spirit where he says uh, this is my covenant I will make with them I will put my laws in in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God they will be not my people they will all know me from the least to the greatest that is the the covenant that we're on we know the Lord we know he loves us we know he has taken away our sins we know that we are one with him that eternity is just waiting for us. We know that. But a lot of people do not know that. They are still struggling. So the law, as far as what's in the minds of a lot of people, still exists because they are still endeavoring to attain righteousness through the law. And it doesn't matter the law of Moses. It, they, they, they're striving to attain law by their religious traditions, through principles, through goal setting, whatever you want to say. Through money, through jobs, through accomplishments. Absolutely. Relationships. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Right? And what's so awesome, what's so awesome about the truth is that there is a perfect life. <clears throat> and this is the way to provide one sacrifice. He had perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, I want you to think about that yourself as an individual. For by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Have you been made perfect forever? Yeah. According to that scripture, and according to all the other scriptures that agree with what that scripture says, you have been made perfect forever. 
your sins have been taken away and cast as far as east is from the west. That came from the Old Testament. That he will take our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. That's where they are. Maurice, do you think that part of, because of the wrong teaching of when it says Jesus fulfilled the law, people are looking at Jesus coming and did everything right, and it goes back to the wrong teaching of um, we look at what Jesus did, and that's what we're supposed to do. And how, so then they keep that law in there because it's like Jesus didn't break any of those laws. Yeah. Listen, I responded to something on, on Facebook this week. Go ahead. Let's use the example of the woman, quote, caught in adultery, quote. Um, I think the law said that she was to be stoned. And so, and, and Jesus said that he wouldn't change one fiddle of the law, right? But then when he goes down to the floor of the, the outer court, he's reminding the people with his finger that he wrote the law, okay? And... So he's reminding the people that there was a reason for the law. And the reason is over on the right-hand side of your book. And that it, it isn't the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. Of course, uh, he convicted, the law convicts our us, our hearts, of knowing that we need God. He convicted those standing with stones in their hands of their own sin. They were bringing their sacrifices to the temple that morning when this happened to be forgiven of their sins. When he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everybody was there to be forgiven of their sins with their sacrifice. So that the law, even the law, embodied also the love. That's right. It pictured the love. It was shadow of love. It was, it was not uh, the realities of what happened at the cross, but it certainly foreshadowed that time when he would come. To reveal to man the realities of God's heart toward man. And even just that, real quick, the yes. law did not say that the woman should be stoned. No. What the law said is fornicating with the strength of the flesh to try to produce life will kill you. Yes. That's what the law said. And 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 actually, all of the condemnation or, or what appears to be condemnation in the penalties communicate to us that that striving is what leads brings us to death that, that that which leads to death and so he came to reveal the true heart of god at the cross and what happened at the cross was what what was displayed at the cross that he put his complete faith in god 
even though it's he and God are one, still that he was showing us to overcome death, we have to put our complete faith in him. What we were healed at the cross, and if, believe me, what you're saying is there's is truth in there. But there is a love that is being communicated at the cross, a love that Jesus had for his Father in heaven, a trust that he had for his Father in heaven mm -hmm. that was meant to be a sign to us that the love in the relationship in the faith that was in his heart to, toward his father could be our faith the righteous will live by that faith the same faith that was in the son of god who was on the cross trusting the father to give him and to to, to, to give him or to uh cause him to live beyond the death that was coming upon him and when you begin to think like the Son of God, to which you, if you, you mind the highs and lows of life that I was shown on the other side of the board, all of a sudden those things begin to shrink. Because listen, when you have eternal life, an indestructible, incorruptible, sinless life, and you know this life, and you know the one who gave that life to you, and why he gave it to you, because of his love for you, he just bestowed this perfect life upon you. And you begin walking according to that life. All of those, the highs and lows in life begin to shrink. And listen, man, that, that life is the life. So listen to this. Gonna, uh... Anyway, anybody have any other thoughts in regard to that? Just that the, the law to bring out the picture of the cross that you said there. The law said, Trust in the, the strength of the flesh for life will serve you with death. Yes, but God will provide Himself a lamp that's right to perfect you from the death that's reigning over you. And yep. then the cross is God providing Himself as the lamp that is the reality to, to justify that is the reality from death. And then, yep. and then when we see God provided Himself the lamp, we see this guy must love us. That's right, right. Or God must love us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then we start walking according to his statute, yeah. which is that he loves us. He will serve us with life and cleanse us from death. I don't have to serve myself with life. That's right. Right? If I don't want to steal, he'll put my flesh to rest by giving me all things in him, and I'll no longer feel like I need to steal. Right? That's right. That kind of thing. Absolutely. So it, it, it's the law was a foreshadowing of the reality the reality is like the ultimate let, let's read about the reality listen to this hold on for a second let me see something okay so listen to this paul writes this this is back to second corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 listen to this This is why, and you know, it, it's kind of interesting. We talk about this all the time, okay? But people who are, you know, into like grace, okay? It seems as though 
there is this uh, thing that they have with the law, as if the law was opposed to us, okay? And in a, in, in a roundabout sense, it was opposed to us because uh, of the mind that was in man, because of the mind that was in man, it was opposed to us. The law itself was not opposed to us, but because of the mind that is in, our, in, our, in, in us, we found ourselves ever falling short of what we believed God was telling us to do in order to be saved. So we found ourselves opposed to the law. But when you look at the overall teaching of the law, it was communicating the reality that through the knowledge of good and evil, you're not going to attain to life. And that, but that God would send a lamb into the world to provide you with the life that you so desire. That's how simple it is. Yep. It is very, very simple. So, but listen to this. Listen to the end of all, all, all these things. Therefore, and this is Paul writing, he said, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at, at the end of what was passing away, but their minds, you got that? Their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Now, listen, he's speaking in general of the Jewish nation in, in the hearing of the gospel, but this is true in the Christian church. There's a veil over the people in the church that has them blinded to this one thing. Listen to what he writes. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, but we all, with unveiled faces, behold in, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by spirit of the Lord. So what these scriptures are saying is this, that because the veil has been taken away and we know now that we are completely acceptable and loved by God, that he has taken away all sins, purged sin from us, and that he has given us his very life. We can now look at God, this, is, this will blow your mind, as if in a mirror. Listen to this. Now we're looking at God as if in a mirror. And who is, who is in that, who's, who are we looking at in that mirror? We're looking at ourselves. He says this. But we all, with unveiled faces, behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into that very same image, from glory to glory, 
So we look at the mirror and we see Jesus, but we also see ourselves in that mirror because his glory is now my glory. Listen, you walk in that glory knowing that his glory is now your glory and you have everything you need for life and godliness. Do you see? In, in giving us his life, his righteousness, in making us one with the Father, we need now see ourselves in the face of God. Now I ask you, this being of God, what greater love, what greater plan could there possibly be from God? And I ask you, why would any human being step outside that love to pursue righteousness in any other way but in that gift. Why would we do that? But we see it in the world around us. We see it in religion around us, in, in, in all of the religions of the, of the world. That mentality is still out there. You know why we teach this? Is because they need to hear it. They need to be convinced of it. They need to be shown it. Because it is not being shown now. Anybody got thoughts and thoughts? Yeah, just for people who maybe still don't get it. The, the mass, the vast majority of humans on the planet Earth are being, if they're being taught anything at all, they're being taught that they're still standing against the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, they shouldn't be afraid because they have within them the strength and power in themselves to overcome that that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they can be just like God. And then they spend their lives pursuing something that is not true. Instead of receiving the, the free gift that God gave them in raising Jesus from the dead, gave them life. And they can they're supposed to embrace that tree of life that's in Jesus and forget about what they can and can't do because it's never been about that. That's right. So what does that put life coaching? What is it? What's that? Well, unfortunately, that the, the, the little course that I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at course, okay? And uh, they would probably fail me from the course. That's all I can say. Because unless you fail them, <laughs> what's that? Unless you fail them. Well, one way or the other. Oh. But listen, I can see things differently than that course portrays, and still check <laughs> off all the boxes and get certified as a life coach. <laughs> so that's what I'm planning on doing. I'm gonna check off all the boxes and I'm gonna get and certified. Teach people to set goals. That's right. Well, yeah. well, life coaching. In What's the sense you're saying it's just managing death. Oh, yeah. To be less harmful. A absolutely. Or less, less more manageable. Yes. You know, uh, death management right. is what it is, you know. How's your death going? <laughs> Very well. I'm beating it pretty good. But, but I will say this. I got to tell you. I, so I read, you know, I signed up for this rather inexpensive life coaching curriculum, and I'm reading through it. And from a worldly perspective, reading through this thing and, and considering how someone out there who is trying to help other people 
to have a better life would look at that and say, you know what, this is pretty thoughtfully put together. This is really, it's actually a, a well-done curriculum if you believe that attaining to these things is going to actually make you happy. Would if you believe that. The counterfeit for what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying from a worldly perspective, someone looking at this and reading it, there is a worldly wisdom in it. That, that would tend to maybe help people with these different things in their life. I don't believe it's the way to approach those things, or to wait, the way to approach life, or to approach those things. But, you know, it, it is from, from a worldly perspective, from somebody out there looking to be a life coach, that it's a pretty well-written book. Probably don't have the same graph you have of the highs and the lows. Okay. No, no, no. no. I if I show, if I show that, nobody would come to me as a life coach. <laughs> yeah, look at that, and you say, "You mean that's what I'm getting into?" Yeah, that's what you got me into. Right, because the value that they're going to get from the attainment of the goals for them at that time is worth more to them than any other truth. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, it's like cleaning your closet. I mean, it might be okay to clean your closet, but it isn't going to give you life. Right. It just helps you get your clothes. It helps. It helps you. It helps you identify your clothes. But yeah. And you know, it, but but listen, I, 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 just to give the world the benefit of the doubt, okay? To desire to have a good, fulfilling, happy life. And for things like to go to work and have a good job to provide for your family, or to have a happy marriage, to mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, to have good relationships with the people you work with, all of these things, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Matter of fact, if you don't aspire or hope for such things, man, you like kind of like inhumane or unhuman or whatever. Dogs can behave contrary to that. But human beings desire to uh, have a life, have a good, happy, fulfilling life. But the, the issue is the issue is how do you attain to that? And I'm telling you, when you find the life and you become established in the life, all of the other things that you desire to attain to will kind of naturally tend to come to you. And, uh, but, but let me tell you, I think everybody in, in this room that is under, you know, Christ ministry and because the world is so compassed about by death, the thinking of death, that that death that's around us has influence on us. It has us thinking like them from time to time. I'd like to say my thinking is perfect, that I got it all together. I never deviate in my thinking from what I teach right here. But guess what? It does from time to time. That's why I have to be reminded of it myself. And I'm going to tell you, as long as I have had a grip on the, on, the, on the grace of God and the truth of God, I still need that reminding. Can you imagine people who are far away from that truth? 
who still haven't had the veil removed, how difficult it is for them to even initially come to grips with it. <clears throat> it's it's a tough deal. Yes. It, it, just to make sure that I understand everything that you said, kind of like in a summary. Yes. Essentially what happened was that they did not understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments, which was basically to show them that they couldn't obtain a, a life by doing it in their self-effort, but that they actually needed the Savior, which is then why he had to come in and create the New Covenant to be able to have that sacrificing lamb so that we then would gain back, if you will, like the, the tether that was damaged in the Garden of Eden so that we could then attain the life here that he actually intended for us without it being us doing it, but actually him in us, which is why you're saying that our goals shrink down because our hearts change, because it's him in us doing it, so therefore our mindsets are changed in, in what we're looking to obtain in life. Like, Next week you're going to come up here. <laughs> well, I just want to make sure you understand it, I was like, please correct me if I don't understand it, because no, no, no. I still no, struggle, that... I mean, I'll be honest, I still struggle with, um, like you said, like my thinking constantly being on as long as I stay him and me and it it the transformation is still happening but i'm so new to this that i'm still listen your summarization of what i'm trying to communicate here is perfect okay it really is and uh and let, let me let me just say this that's all you have to do is go home and turn on fox news or cnn or whichever news you want to put on and listen to it and be drawn in by the way you can watch the news, not thou shalt not watch the news, and you can have a political opinion, whatever it is. But, but where there's a disc, you know, the scriptures say we are in the world, but we're not of the world. This is what's so cool about the life, okay? Now, you see that, that track of like that perfect life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that life is mine in Christ. That is my life. And I... I don't say that like to try and talk myself into it. It is my life. I know it's my life because he gave me that life. So when you're in that life, you find yourself tracking above the life of the world. So you're in the world, but you're not of it. So as you watch the news and things going on around you in life, and let me tell you, it's a kind of tumultuous world at the moment, okay? When you look at that world, the minute you delve back into it and try to deal with that world as if you're going to straighten out the world or come to grips with understanding it all, you are just delving into death. But when you're tracking above the world, when you're living that perfect life, you can actually see to help the world and, and pick the world up out of its, in the death that it's in. Because there is a gospel to be preached. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring that good news to people. But, you know, understanding that this is, that the law was but a shadow. Now, this is what I was going to say. I, I started to get into it earlier. So the folks in a grace uh, that 
preached the grace message, okay? It's as if they uh, find themselves sometimes uh, opposed to the law of God because they think that the law was opposed to us. But the law was actually not opposed to us. It was trying to reveal something to us. And there was a glory in that. But to their credit or to their there's something in, in, in that grace movement that is, they have something correct. We are not under the law anymore. We're not striving to obey rules, regulations, uh, religious tradition, principles, or anything like that to attain to the life that he's freely given us. So, no, we are not under the law. And to say we are under the law would be a misnomer. It would just not be correct because... He delivered us from that way of thinking that would that the law was trying to reveal to us. No, they got somebody coming that's going to give that life to you. That the glory that was in that, the, the glory of, of revealing to man his mind in the fact that God would come to bring somebody to change his mind, that glory was fading because it was not the reality. But we now have the reality. So having that reality, we are not under the law. We're not under the law. It's a good thing. Like the, the anatomy of the goal. I mean, why, why do people set a goal? What's the point of a goal? <laughs> the goal is to hit a mark. And so your mind is filled with the mark. Yes. Right. And you want to hit that mark because you presuppose that in hitting this mark, it's going to serve me with something. Right. And so even the anatomy of the goal, if you look at the law, there was a mark that mankind wanted to hit. What was the mark that we wanted to hit? The glory of God, the fruit of his life. That was the goal. That's right. And we were all the time wanting the fruit of his life. It was easy for us to see his life is good. And this other life over here is not good. So we had a goal that we're going to hit the mark, which is God's life, by using our own strength to get there. Yep. Well, then God gave the law to show us that we can't hit the mark by using our own strength. Yep. And that's why when Moses got the law, God, Moses said, show me your glory. Essentially, how can I attain to your glory? Well, God said, you can't see my glory trying to attain to my glory. And so he, his face is hidden or he turns his back. And so Moses just sees his backside. And that's where Moses got the law, right? And so there was a glory there, but the glory was God showing Moses that you can't hit the mark, which is the glory of God, through your own strength to try to do what's good and not do what's evil. That's why Paul would come and say, all have fallen short of the glory of God. What he's saying is everybody was trying to hit the goal or hit the mark by trusting in their own strength. And the law was given to demonstrate to you that you can't hit the mark by trusting in the strength of the flesh. That's how it would stop all of our mouths. And none of us would boast anymore in our own strength. But we would begin to boast in the strength of the Lord. So now the, the veil's been removed, right? We see the mark or the goal that we had that we're all trying to hit. We see it in the face of Jesus because he's attained to the glory of God. And then we see ourselves in his face. And we see the way we're going to attain to the glory of God. It's not by strength of our hand, but it's by strength of God's hand. 
and the lamb he provided. And what happens is, as we start beholding the way Jesus hit the mark was by the Father picking him up out of the grave, we start seeing that's how we're going to hit the mark. And what happens is, is we're transformed from the glory we behold in Jesus, God, into that very same image, right? Yeah. We're called forth out of the darkness into the light. And the darkness was, we were trying to attain to the goal, which is immortality, which is the fruit of God's life. We were trying to attain to that by our ability to do thou shalt not and thou shalt. And God gave the law to show us we can't get there like that. That's right. And that's why there is a glory there. Because it's glorious to find out you can't get there by your own strength. <laughs> yep. Because what happens is, is you end up not missing the mark. Yep. You end up hitting the mark or seeing the way you're going to hit the mark is by God's strength. Mm, right? right? And so it's 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 powerful seeing that, that Moses only saw God's backside when he received the law. And it says he received the law through the hands of angels, yep. not from God himself. And so God was demonstrating that you can't hit the goal, but that's why the goals leave you like this. Yeah. Because you have to first ask yourself, why do I even set a goal? Why am I not just living by passion? What do I think I'm going to get out of this goal? Am I trying to manipulate myself into doing this? And I'm going to use this goal to try to manipulate myself, right? Or am I going to see that the goal I'm really after is the life of God? And he's giving me his life freely in Jesus. So rather, let me spend my time fellowshipping with the life God's already served me with instead of setting goals to try to get there. And then let the life I live in this world be born from the life God gave me. Instead of me trying to set goals to get life, let me live from the foundation of I already have the life. And let my life be animated by the life. And then you're not really setting goals anymore. You're just living by passion, right? That's like, right. I promise you, Paul didn't set a goal. Let me labor more abundantly than them all. He did come in one day and say, you know what, guys? I want to labor more than all the other apostles. Let's do it. He didn't do that. <clears throat> but what he saw was that the life he was always trying to get, to hit the mark he was trying to hit, he found that God came and gave him that life. And when he started seeing God's life is my life, it brought something forth in him where he labeled more abundantly than them all. Absolutely. Right? So if we want to have a goal, there's one thing that's needful. Let us see that we've been braided together with the life of God. And there's no lack in God's life. And God's life even overcomes the world. Yep. Let that be our goal. And then let us watch that give birth to life out of us. And we'll look back and see, man, we labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, listen. That, no, that's good. The, uh, listen, the, there is really one goal. There's only one goal, and that's to attain and to walk in that light. Yeah. So you, when you've got that goal and you're walking in that light, you've got the life, and you've got the goal. You have attained to the goal. And, and let me tell you what's so good about it. Life, I don't know if you realize, it varies, it changes. Good comes to you, bad comes to you. The life is full of like changing mm -hmm. dynamics all the time. So if having these good things in life, and that's usually what the goals are, this is a good thing, that's a good thing, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. If having the good things of life is what's going to make you happy, 
you will forever either be striving toward or down after having not attained the new thing. So it is either striving or being down. That's all that life can produce for you. But when you attain to the goal, it's a, it's a done deal. But listen to this. I'll just pull this up. Oh, Bill. Religion would tell us that we need to work to attain righteousness, godliness, and happiness when it's already been attained. Amen. Yep. And that life, man, let me tell you, it is all wrapped up in the love of God towards us at the cross. But listen to this. I, I just pulled this up from uh, from the book of Romans. Because, you know, when you think about the law, you know, I said, why didn't the law, either the law come like immediately after the cross? I mean, after the fall? Or why didn't Jesus come immediately after the fall? Let me tell you, there was there was this like tilling of the soil that this that was taking place under the law and is still taking place in the minds of people who are still under the law. It's, it is bringing to light what the law was really speaking of, that we're not going to attain life in such a way. It is a tilling of the soil of the human heart. But when we come to Christ, the tilling is over and the reaping takes place. You're reaping of the life that was being tilled in your heart until you came to the cross. And, and, and believed on the life that he came to give to us. Now listen to this. I'm sorry? That's a good word. But listen to this. Therefore, this is from Romans chapter 5. It says, uh, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, for all sin. Now I want you to understand between the time of Adam and the time of Moses, sin did not, sin as man defines it, was not in the world. You know why that was? Because nobody broke a commandment. There was no thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. There was no law given. So how can you break a commandment or sin according to the law if the law wasn't even given? But what it says was in the book was death. And that death is the real issue in the human life. What mankind needs is the life that comes from God that overcame the death. And, and we have that life. Anybody got any thoughts? Seems like the ultimate goal is to be persuaded by God and served by God. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when, when uh, John says, in the beginning was the word. I don't know, why would he even use that terminology? The logos of God, the word of God. Is it that he would describe God as the word? Well, God is trying to communicate to us. And it's hard for somebody to communicate to you when 
you, your mind is filled up with the, the fact that you think you already know. But guess what? When you open up your mind to the Lord and say, Lord, what does it mean? What does all of this mean? That's what the Lord was hoping the nation of Israel would do when he gave them the law. Could you imagine if, if uh, when Moses came down from the mountain, now this is purely hypothetical. He came down from the mountain and he said, this is the law, thou shalt not lie. If the people would have looked at him and said, instead of saying, everything the Lord said, we'll do. That's what they said. That he came, everything the Lord said, we'll do. If they'd have came down, he'd have came down from the mountain and they would have said, Moses, we cannot do a single thing that you're telling us to do. We need God to be our light. We need him to be our righteousness. And all of this is alluded to in the Old Testament because the Psalms speak of these things and the Proverbs and the, all the rest of the law testified the fact that we need him to be our Can you imagine again, he came down the mountain instead of, instead of them saying, all the Lord said we'll do. And they would have said, Moses, please go back to the Lord and tell him we cannot do one thing that he said for us to do. Ask him to show us his mercy. And give us his life. Now that was destined not to happen. It's purely hypothetical. But it would have been a little bit of a different scenario. That's just a hypothetical, you know, crazy thought, I guess. Anybody have any uh, other so thoughts? The whole thing didn't work, and he says exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maurice. Jim, it was the purpose of the law. It was the purpose of the law, to till that soil that we might come to him. Yes. Maurice, what you just said about that hypothetical, that took place right after the cross for us. That's right. When we said, we can't do it. Yeah. We're the ones that stood up and said, we yeah. can't and do it. And basically, that's kind of like what Jim's saying. You know, the law did its work. Yeah. yeah. The law did its work in our hearts, you know. It says, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed. Imputed means there was no knowledge of what was killing. The Paul goes on to explain that by the law is the knowledge of sin. That doesn't mean the knowledge of bad behavior. It means the knowledge that you don't possess in your own strength the ability to produce life. It's the, the imputation of sin is like what Paul talks about in Romans 7, where he sees the good. He agrees that it's good. And the more he tries to bring about the good, he finds a different law dwelling in his members where he's not able to bring about the good. And the more he tries to bring about the good himself, the more he brings about the bad. Sin was imputed to him, not his bad behavior, but he was taught the law of sin and death by the law that was given from Moses. Which law of sin and death is if you enlist your own strength to try to produce the fruit of God's life that you say is good, it's going to leave you naked. It's going to leave you producing thorns and thistles. And so until the law was given, that knowledge wasn't in the earth, right? And the scripture says that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And to Hunter's point, 
I mean, how thick skull do we have to be? I mean, how long did it take not to get it? Yeah. Well, I I understand that. I've had that conversation with God, and there's nothing wrong with being intellectual. But we're supposing that the knowledge is an intellectual knowledge, and certainly we ought to be able to come to a classroom and understand it on a whiteboard before a couple of thousand years. But the problem is Paul comes and says, how does a man understand the things of God, save the spirit of God, dwell in him? Right? And so it isn't possible to understand the things of God, save the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And once Adam brought death in the world and we were married to death, there was a problem because the Holy Spirit was not indwelling man. And so our minds were filled with the death we saw in ourselves. We were carnally minded. The law was spiritual. The law was speaking a truth. Well, we couldn't see the truth because the truth pertained to the things of God. Well, how are we going to understand the things of God, save the Spirit of God dwell in us? And that's what Hebrews is talking about, where he says, I found fault with this old covenant because it couldn't get my spirit inside of them, and they would never see that the old covenant was prophesying of me providing a lamb to perfect them yeah. from sin and death. So what we need to do is get this statute, the judgment, that I'm their father and I will care for their life, we got to get that in their heart, right? That's the only way they're going to see I'm with them to be their God, and they're able to live at rest as my people, right? And so you can never understand the things of God externally by just reading them on paper. you got to have the Holy Spirit to interpret the spirit that's there, right? And so that's why you don't see these people coming to understand it. The whole, there had to be a man who would rest in God, no matter what, even if all death came on him, mm -hmm. in order for the Spirit of God to be poured out on all flesh, right? You know, just to get back to the, the very thing I first talked about, where I said, the righteous will live by faith, or the righteous will live by faith. How did I, how did I discern the fact that there are or multiple ways of looking at that. Where did that come from? Well, I can tell you. Some might say, well, you know, you read it in its context. It's immediate context. You just read those verses right before and right, right after, and it will explain to you what it means to live by faith. Someone else might say, well, you know, you got to take the whole thing. You got to understand the scriptures as a whole. And if you understand the scriptures of a whole, you will understand what those what that verse means. Now, there is intellectual uh there's some truth to that. But the reality is, you know what reveals that to you? The spirit that he's given us. It requires the Spirit. The man without the Spirit knoweth not the things of the Spirit of God. Just like I can't know your mind and you can't know my mind, we can't know the mind of God unless we possess the mind of God. That's right. But when you have the mind of God, those things begin to be clarified in your heart. And you begin to realize, wow, there's something to believe, be believed on that will produce life in me. What is that thing? And then you begin to, to, to see the truth when you begin to see things according to the spirit and not according to the light.
Anybody else got some thoughts? Uh, yes. A question. Um, after the law was given, and and I'm not really, I don't understand like the sequence of everything in the mm -hmm. Bible and all, but the people were they kind of understood that the law was not to be done, or some of them understood that, but they didn't have Jesus yet to, to, for them to believe in, in lieu of the law. So, but some of them, they were looking forward to the time, the Bible must have said, there's one coming. As far as I understand, there's one coming that will take the place of the law. Or to make it more cemented are that you saying, they couldn't do the Are you law. saying what, what, what was in the minds of those who believed before Jesus? Yeah. They, they, okay. Exactly. How, what were the ones who actually... Nobody knew the Lord like we can know them. After having been imputed the Spirit of God. But back then, there were those who believed in were in essence saved, okay? The, I, I guess the best way to explain that would be that as they read the scriptures or were communicated verbally tr truth that was revealed to them about God. And listen, it, 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 it's, it's, it's strange because there are people who out there, uh, in the, in the Gentile nations who actually believe, okay? And, and, and I can bring out some very specific scriptures that talk about the healing of Naaman, uh, you know, he was a Syrian soldier, his servant. I forget exactly what it is, but yeah. there were people who were not Jews who actually believed. I believe that what it was, was there was a sincere faith in God that these folks had and they in their heart they desired to know truth how much truth was actually revealed to them the depth of their understanding or the shallowness of their understanding whatever it is there were people who believed in God back then it's obvious there were people in the Jewish nation it wasn't just the prophets and the patriarchs who were saved there were other people. Remember, Elijah was Elijah was on the mount, and he said, "I'm the only one left." And he said, "Listen, I got seven thousand others now that haven't bowed their knee to bow." So there are, were people in the Old Testament who believed onto uh, the life that would come to them after Jesus' resurrection. Okay. What the depth of that understanding was, I don't. I really can't say that, but I know one thing. They were somehow revealed that there would be someone to come to them to save them. And they believed on that. They trusted in that. I mean, right, what's your thought on that? I'm just going to say, that, I mean, the, the scripture yeah. says the Holy Spirit moved on people of old. Yeah. And so it's not, the Holy Spirit couldn't indwell them, but the Holy Spirit could influence someone's thoughts That's right. in that moment. And they yeah. could see a part of the promise that was afar off. That's right. right? That's yeah. how that understanding yeah. would come. Right? Yeah. 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 Thank you.
it's interesting. It's an interesting thought, but you know, some of those things you you can conjecturize about and but clearly there were those who believed before the cross. But there was something other than the law, like it wasn't a to-do list. Yes. Yeah. You can get into a whole side note about God working with man. Man had dominion over the earth. God gave dominion to the earth over man. Well, there, that, there's a precarious situation there, which means God co-labors with man to bring about his Christ. And so God began prophesying of his Christ, but he's going to get human beings to also begin prophesying of the Christ. Right? And so he moves on people with the Holy Spirit. They begin prophesying of the Christ in the earth as human beings with dominion over the earth. And that's God co-laboring with man to bring the Christ about inside of the earth, right? Yeah, that's the essence of the prophets and uh, and and the psalmists and the, you know Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs and you know that's where that came from for them. You and know all the promises. Yeah. And it serves as a sign and a wonder because once Christ came, and you go back and start interpreting the scriptures, then you would point to these guys who were of faith and not their own works. You can even go back and say, see, look at Abraham. He wasn't trusting in the strength of the flesh. He was trusting in the strength of God. Look at David. Look at all these guys. And you start running down the list. That's what the Hall of Faith is yep. in Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Where yep. the author of Hebrews comes, and he doesn't just say the law was pointing to the faith, but he comes and says, we know that's the case because even the, the, the prophets of old they saw the faith yes. afar off, right? Yeah. It serves as an example to all of us that we know this is the truth. Yep. This is how God desires for us to walk in this earth, to walk in his good work and not our own good work, right? And I mean, listen, that's why God found fault with the old covenant, because it couldn't get the spirit in us. And yeah. if the spirit wasn't in us, we'd never be able to rest in God. You think God don't know that? And so we found fault with the old covenant because it can never fill us with the Spirit. And so we never see that He would, would save us from death and perfect us from sin. And so we've got to get it right to pour out the Holy Spirit so then we could see this guy is with us to be the God we need. Yeah, what what, what a beautiful picture of uh, of this we see in, in, in Peter. Now listen, Peter saw Jesus' miracles. He spoke with Jesus. Jesus revealed these marvelous things. Was he there at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration? Yeah. He was at the Mount of Transfiguration, saw the glory of God, and listen. So they arrest Jesus, and they come to Peter, and Peter curses and swears. I don't even know that guy. That's what the scriptures say. He cursed and swore. I don't even know the man. So to say that salvation can be partaken of without the imputation of that life, that faith, that love, everything that is in him that we receive through the giving of the Spirit mm -hmm. is a preposterous thought. There is no such a thing. And those without the Spirit, they don't belong to you. Anyway, That's any good. other thoughts, questions? Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your truth and for the fact that it is a life-giving truth. 
that you shed your light, your spirit abroad, that everyone and anyone who simply believes in you for the life that you came to bring is yours. We thank you for the life-giving fruit and how simple it is and how good it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.